0: welcome back folks to make mine multiversity a marvel podcast i'm kevin with me as usual is jess and we're coming to you in this world where sean spicer can compete on dancing with the stars to talk about all things marvel related uh for the month of september Uh, So kicking off, we have some news left over from August, September that we're going to cover. And then we're going to get into this first half of the episode into an in-depth discussion of the last few issues of House of X and Powers of Ten, and cover this week's issue of House of X number five. Uh, So first, uh, Marvel announced at the uh, D23 thing. Is that that right? Is that what it was called? The Disney? I mean, I always
1: call it D23. I don't know if there's like an actual name for it.
0: Okay, all right. So the the D the D numbers thing, whatever. Um, so Disney Marvel announced um, some new additions uh, to Disney Plus, along with a bunch of cool Star Wars stuff, which also, honestly sounds really exciting. Uh, I'm excited for the Mandalorian. I don't know um, if you are, Jess. For sure. I, if, I, I wasn't yeah. going to
1: sign up for Disney Plus, and like now I'm going to. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I saw that list that they put on like the master list of everything that's going to be on there at launch this week. And uh, I was like, oh, crap, there goes my weekend whenever it is in November. Um, but OK, so Marvel and Disney Plus announced three new shows that are going to be uh, a part of Disney Plus, presumably in phase five, though none of them were given a release date. And that is a Miss Marvel show, a Kamala Khan show, uh, a She-Hulk show and a Moon Knight show. They also announced that Black Panther Two uh, would be coming out in May of 2022, and that would kick off Phase Five. Um, so Jess, we'll start with you. What are your thoughts about uh, these three shows getting added to uh, to Disney Plus and being made into Disney Plus shows? Um,
1: I think it's pretty good. Um, I'm I'm interested. Like, there's there's three very different kinds of heroes, so. I I kind of hope that they're gonna be like three separate shows and not necessarily get tied together somehow, like like Netflix did with the Defenders, because they're so different. Like Ms. Marvel should be like a, a a show aimed at like teenagers, and like She-Hulk could go a couple different ways. Like you could do like a a lawyer comedy, like Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law, which I think is the only way to do the show. Um or you could do Yeah oh, interesting. or you could do something more serious like Daredevil was, but like I feel like She Hulk could be more fun than Daredevil. And I that's like the first thing I think mm-hmm. of it's like, what if we did She-Hulk but Harvey Birdman? So you could have like oh, okay. a bunch of like D list Marvel people show up, um, and like she has to help them and it could be a little bit more comedic, but have like a story, not like that show where it would just kinda like chaos every episode but like this could be like a story that's being told over a season or something like that but i'd like she hulk to be a little bit more comedic um you could do something Mm -hmm. more serious with it if you wanted to that would be fine but i hope they don't and then like moon knight could be really cool too if they do like the warren ellis stuff and they get really weird with it but i don't know like i don't know if they're willing to do that so i don't know i mean it's it's the same feeling I had with them with the Netflix shows. Like you could do a lot of stuff with the genres and do something different for everyone, but I don't know if they will. I'm not convinced they will.
0: Sure, Sure. I saw somebody uh, tweet, and I kind of thought about this too that, like, if She-Hulk was just like law and order and it was just like a law and order show and she's just green and is She-Hulk the whole time, but nobody acknowledges it or does anything with it. That's what I want is just like straight up uh, like law and order, which I which you know, is like more serious and dumb and all that. But I like, if it's going to be funny, it was gonna be like a comedy. Then I think like Harvey Birdman's a good like a good. Way to go. I mean,
1: even if they did like a Law and Order show, like that would be good too. I just, I just kind of wish they would mm-hmm. try their hand at like an actual comedy, but not like a rated R Rick and Morty type comedy, like a kind of middle oh, of the yeah. road kind of comedy. But also have like a fair amount of drama, like. I would just like to see them kind of take that idea of Harvey Birdman and like have her be like the lawyer to the Marvel universe, the way that he was the lawyer to the Hanna-Barbera universe. Like, that's that, that'd be a cool yeah, concept. Yeah, but I do hope she's green like the whole time.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure, for like, sure.
1: Like, she it's that's like a thing that makes her very different from from the Hulk is like she doesn't really, there's nothing for her to hide. Like, she, she'll be in like. She'll she'll plead a case in front of the Supreme Court as She-Hulk. Like that's that's who she is. Yeah, it's like the, the human side, like the human visual of her is like the secret identity. Like She-Hulk is who she is. So I hope she's green the whole time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Same. Same. um Yeah. I think uh, I so I think I'm really excited about a She-Hulk show. I think that's kind of cool. It also kind of seems like it might be a loophole uh, because like uh, I guess Paramount still owns or Universal or whatever still owns the Hulk rights or whatever for their movie but maybe like they worked on a deal so that they can make a she hulk show and then like they don't have to partner with whichever one of those companies owns the rights to make a movie um so that's kind of cool i don't know how like we, and i don't know if like mark Ruffle is going to be part of it but that would be cool if he was i'm really excited about like miss marvel being a show and i think that like that's one that definitely and, like, her character and, like, what, like, G. Will Wilson and all the artists did um, on that run of that book, like, that really lends itself to, like, a television show more so than a movie. Even if it leads to some kind of movie or some kind of, like, Young Avengers kind of thing or whatever. Um, the only one of the th- – oh, go ahead.
1: Uh, I was going to say, she fills the void that Spider-Man would be leaving behind.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's the other part. The other thing I guess that we need to talk about a little bit is this: the Sony, Sony Disney fallout, because um, Disney, Disney is very greedy, very greedy boy, <laughs> very greedy boy. It takes all the I, money to run the cryo chamber that sits in the castle at Disney World that Walt Disney's body is sitting in. So I can understand why they would need to, you know, milk Sony for all its all their work. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. They, Disney is clearly suffering. Like, they clearly do not have enough going on for them right now. So
0: Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs>
1: we, we can talk about that a little later because I'm I'm the one ruining the fun when it comes
0: to <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I think, yeah, I think Ms. Marvel as a show makes a lot of sense. Moon Knight's the only one of the three that I'm like really fascinated by because I thought people, well, I, it, it kind of makes more sense as like a darker, like grittier show and more aligned with sort of like the tone that the Netflix shows have, I would think. Or also I, I would think since Disney and Hulu are doing a lot of shows together, um, that are going to be sort of like the darker vibe. Some of them are going to be those comedies, but some of them are going to be like the, the Marvel television horror, whatever stuff that Jeff Loeb's doing. And it seems like a Moon Knight show would fit into that void more than, than like maybe the Marvel cinematic universe. But I guess if you just play up more of the sort of like absurd aspects of Moon Knight, then it, it works out kind of. Um, But I think it's kind of cool. Uh, I think it's weird. I still think it's weird. And we talked about this last uh, episode that like the Marvel cinematic universe is like shifting to Disney plus. Um, but I guess if it works, it works. So,
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, and, it, and I think like all this set, like, you know, showcases that like whatever phase five is going to be, is going to be like completely different than anything that's come before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but let's get in a little bit briefly to the to the uh, Disney Sony Spider Man whatnot. Um, what do you What do you mean when you say that you, you're the one killing all the fun?
1: Oh, because I'm so happy Sony told them no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I'm so happy that someone finally said to Disney, uh, "No," and that's not me saying that Sony's like some sudden hero or something. Cause they're also a giant corporation that doesn't need any more money than they already have. But like the whole thing is that Disney just owns too much. Like they, their, their hands are in everything and that's not good for business. That's not good for creativity. It's just not. So for Sony to say, yeah, no, this is ours. We're going to do it our way. Even if people don't like the movies that come out, the whole point is that they're going to do it their way because Like it or not, they got the rights to all these characters fairly. Marvel was going down, they were having money issues, they sold off the rights to a bunch of characters, and they didn't think of what could happen in the future, and now they want to be upset about not owning Spider-Man. Well, maybe you should have held on to him, you know? And... I'm very happy that that they told Marvel no. I mean was it nice seeing Spider Man interact with, with the Avengers? Yeah, sure, but it's not like it's to me it's not worth letting Disney continue the monopoly that they're continuing. So I'm glad they told them no. And you know what, if we have to get bad not so great Spider Man movies, then so be it
0: yeah that's uh, that's kind of about where i where i am too um because like because so, sony the only money that sony made with tom hall and spider-man being in the marvel cinematic universe universe was on the the two individual spider-man movies like they didn't make any money on uh like adventures infinity war and civil war and end game i mean like they didn't make any money from those movies i'm sure that they made a ton of money in like uh toys and merchandise and crap like that or whatever I don't know what that agreement looks looks like but like Disney made a little bit of money on Homecoming and Far From Home and Sony didn't make any money on the other films that Tom Holland was a part of and for then Disney to come back to them and say like okay for the third film like we want half is is absurd because there's no way that Sony like pulls a profit on on that and like you know like the point of a of, point of, of of corporations is to like make money and like if they're not going to make any money then it makes sense for them to like pull out and it makes it, it doesn't make sense for disney to ask that of them especially because they like the movie that tom holland was in like only four months ago or whatever it was is the highest grossing film of all time that's where i'm at
1: yeah and you know whether or not people think it was a good movie, Venom made a lot of money.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and people thought it was a good time. Like, it's not that it was going to go out and win a bunch of awards for being some cinematic masterpiece. But people had fun with it, and they enjoyed it. So, clearly, there's something that they can do right. And the first two Tobey Maguire Spider-Mans were fantastic movies. Um, I, I don't know why people... I. I think a problem with the Tom Holland movies is that they're the current thing and that a lot of fans are younger and we forget that those Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies did come out a, a pretty significant amount of time ago. And that was before like superhero movies kind of took off the way that they did. Those two movies are very good and I think they're very true to Spider-Man as a character um, in a different way than, than the current uh, Tom Holland movies are. So they're, they can clearly make decent movies. This is not like, it's not like Fox with the X-Men franchise, which I actually wish they had told them no too. Um, because it's just out of principle, tell them, no, this is ridiculous. They're buying up everything, but, um, they, they've been capable of making good movies and, I don't think that they need Marvel. Um, like I said, they, they got the rights to him and that universe fair and square. And it's up to them to do what they want with it. And if they keep Tom Holland around and they keep going with this franchise, I don't see why it has to, why automatically it has to be thought of as a horrible thing that the next movie's going to be garbage. That's not necessarily the case at all. They just made these two movies with Marvel's input. If they just follow that kind of formula then I don't, I I just don't like the assumption that it's going to be trash right away. I just think that's that's just a crazy leap um, to me. So, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. No, I I I totally agree. Um, and I think like the point you made is 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 really valid. Like Venom Venom made like a big profit for Sony, and so they they like whether or not they make you know whatever you think is like quality, qualitatively good movies like doesn't matter because they're going to pull a profit. Um and yeah, in the same way that we now have generation of kids that don't remember nine eleven, we have a generation of kids that don't remember the Toby McGuire Spider Man movies. So, you know, like that's a whole that's a whole other thing. Um yeah. that was funnier in my head. Uh No, you're
1: right. I mean, it's weird because, like, it is weird because a lot of the the Marvel, the MCU, like, Stan accounts, as they're, that's what they are. They're, like, always run by really young kids. And you know they're young kids because you can just see that based off the tweets and the language that's used and and things like that. And I mean, some of them will just outright say in their bio that they're, like, 15. So, Mm -hmm. um, It is a lot of younger people that are really, really into it. And it's not to say that, like, the Sony movies have been so good. It's just, it's just, I'm glad someone said no, because it's just, as much as I look forward to probably getting some really solid X-Men stuff, I, I do wish Fox had also told them no to that sale and just kept going and kept that company and those studios as their own thing because i just i don't think um disney buying up so much is going to be good for anybody in the long run
0: sure cool uh well let's transition a little bit from that uh downer of a bit uh greedy downer of a bit to a more uh i guess cornucopia of good ideas or bad ideas um so um transitioning to the comic side of things uh looking at the rest of of marvel's output for november december uh we have a lot of good a lot of not well some good some maybe not so good well it remains to be seen but there are a lot of books coming out that they've announced in the last uh, like you know four or five weeks or whatever um so we're going to go through them very very quickly kind of do a good bad meh like are you excited not excited do you think like you just don't care um, and we'll start with, uh, the, um, it was just announced like today, basically that, um, the sort of teases for the annihilation uh, event that Marvel's been doing for December are, um, going to be, uh, finished in December. So Annihilation Scourge Alpha was solicited for November. And so come December, Annihilation Scourge will continue with uh, four more one shots, uh, the alpha and omega issues are written by, um, uh, Matthew Rosenberg. Um, and then, and the Nova issue and the alpha issue is illustrated by, uh, uh, Juan Ramirez and, uh, the Nova issue is illustrated by Ibrahim Robertson and the Omega issue is going to be illustrated by pa- Paul Davidson. And then the annihilation Scourge silver surfer, uh, Issue is written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Davidson, and then the Fantastic Four issue, written by Chris Gage, uh, Dan Slot's frequent co writer, and uh, illustrated by uh, Diego Olartegu. And then the Beta Ray Bill issue was written by Michael Morici and illustrated by uh, our favorite artist and yours, TBD, um, as in we don't know. Uh, nice. <laughs> um, so, Jess, Annihilation. Are you excited to be annihilated?
1: Um, not really. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I've never been huge into the cosmic stuff, so I don't know. If I, I, I mean, I will read what we probably read on this podcast, and that'll be about it. Sure,
0: sure. I could see us reading the Alpha issue, maybe the Omega issue. Um, yeah, I think I'm kind of like eh, on on some of this stuff as well. It's interesting. I think. Um. That like Matthew Rosenberg, who was like big in the X world before all the Hickman stuff um, is coming out, is now like transitioning to the cosmic side of things. And Punisher, I think, is ending soon. So um, it kind of, I guess, remains to be seen exactly what it is that he's going to be doing at Marvel for the future. And it's, it seems like it's going to be more sort of spacey, perhaps. So that's kind of interesting. Um, okay, so the uh, next up is the um, incoming. Uh, anthology or issue thing or whatever that Marvel put out those like puzzle piece teasers for. And so incoming number one is written or is coming out in December. It remains to be seen if like, that's the only issue or if this is an event or if this is just like the, the tie up of all of the, what Marvel has been doing to celebrate its 80th anniversary. And then it's sort of the, here's what's coming in 2020 teaser thing. Uh, but it's written by a slew of people. So Al Ewing, Dan Slott, Chip Zdarsky, Kelly Thompson, Greg Pak, Eve Ewing, Matt, Matt Rosenberg, Ed Brisson, Saladin Ahmed, Tini Howard, Jonathan Hickman, Donnie Cates, and Jason Aaron. So everybody, basically. And then we know it's definitely going to be illustrated by Umberto Ramos, Jim Chung, and a ton of other people. Um, and it ties into Marvel Comics 1000, which we'll be talking about in the second part of the episode. So Jess, are you excited to be in incomed? Are you excited to have income? Income is a good thing. Um,
1: is this the one where somebody's getting murdered? Am I? Am I yeah, up? Oh, this is the one where somebody's getting murdered.
0: This um, is the somebody's getting murdered identity crisis kind of kind of style. Yeah, yeah, thing. I'm
1: gonna read it because I want to find out who got murdered.
0: <laughs> yeah, I need to know who died. Yeah, I gotta know yeah. who
1: died, and I'm probably gonna want to know who killed them. So I will probably be into this a little bit.
0: Sure. I liked all the teasers. Like the puzzle piece teasers were kind of cool um and it had like one of them was a, a, a magneto xavier and apocalypse all together so i think it's and hickman's writing so which it seems like it's will, gonna tie in
1: yeah which we will end talk about because oh that my god yeah unholy trio right there
0: <laughs> yep 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 um <laughs> yeah so i uh, yeah i'm excited about that i'm excited to pay 9.99 for another comic probably super excited um, yeah, but, I'll, I'll you know, it'll be good. It'll be good. Okay, uh, next up, uh, also coming out in December, uh, Doctor Strange, Surgeon Supreme. So the current Doctor Strange uh, book ended with issue 19 this month and is being relaunched, uh, written uh, again by Mark Wade, the current writer, and then illustrated by Kev Walker. Uh, Doctor Strange going back to being a surgeon. Jess what do
1: you think? I, I'm kind of into this if it's like his daredevil run like where it's a little okay. bit where it gets kind of lighthearted not like straight up comedy mm-hmm. but it's not as dark like this could be fun I'm, I'm into it it's, it's like when Charles Soule was writing She-Hulk and it was mostly like a lawyer drama that's yeah I, I could get into that I could get into this
0: yeah okay okay yeah I think I'm kind of like in eh, for it I read the first few issues of Wade's dr strange and didn't like it too much but then like went back and read some more and i got a little bit better uh i need to still like catch up on the end of it but i'm like you know if it yeah if it's like his daredevil run it could be kind of cool um cool okay next up uh we're getting a spider handbook uh written by zeb wells and illustrated by um will robson uh, who is currently doing Future Foundation, but we would note that that book is being canceled in December with issue five. Um, Suggests so Spider-Ham, uh, Peter Porker. Love him. Porkin.
1: Love him. Love it. Love him. Um, I didn't even, this is weird, because like I know, like I've been reading comics for a while, but like I didn't know who Spider-Ham even was until I started playing the Spider-Man mobile game that was basically just Temple Run with Spider-Man um and he's like a character in that game that you can unlock and i was like what oh okay. yeah and i was like reading his bio and he's like he's basically looney tune but spider-man this is amazing <laughs> so then he was in the spider-verse movie and i thought he was hilarious and um so yeah i mean maybe i mean I, this is probably something i want to read the first issue of see if it's funny
0: yeah okay yeah i think i'm kind of like yeah you know like there are a lot of spider books but Uh, i did love into into the spider verse and i think people are banking on sort of that that goodwill from that movie maybe so we'll see zeb zeb wells is not a a writer that i'm like real familiar with Um, yeah me neither so okay all right next up we have um conan serpent war uh written by jim zub and illustrated by uh, the first two issues, um, Scott Eaton and Stephen Scobia, uh respectively. Uh, it's the introduction of some new uh, Conan-y characters into the Marvel universe. That I guess like Marvel closed a deal with the Robert E. Howard people. Um, so uh, Solomon Kane, Dark Agnes, Conan. And then Moon Knight's going to be in this event because why not? Um, so oh, Jess, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I don't know. I'm not really a Conan person, but Moon Knight being in it is kind of interesting. Don't know if I'm going to read it, but Conan being in it is kind of interesting. I mean, Moon Knight yeah. being in it is interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm not a much of a Conan guy. I watch, I watch. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Seth Myers. Like I like Seth Myers more than I like Conan. You know. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, uh, I think I'm not interested in this at all. Like I tried I'm to get only, into the...
1: Only people over 30 are going to think that's good.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I like tried to read some of the Conan stuff, like with Jason Aaron and Maman Uh two, pe- two creators that I like really, really like uh, most of their other stuff. And I just was like, I don't care at all. So that's where I'm at. Um, all right. Uh, Deadpool getting relaunched. Kelly Thompson, Chris Bachalo, Jess, Deadpool thing. I
1: think it's really interesting that a woman's writing Deadpool because there's there hasn't that has not happened very much. Um, yeah,
0: well, because it's probably Gail Simone's probably the only.
1: I, I think she might have been the only other woman to write Deadpool, and that was a really long time ago when she was just coming into writing comics. So. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm not a really big Deadpool person, but I'm kind of intrigued by a woman writing Deadpool. And then Bachalo, I'm a big fan of his art. So is this the first Deadpool book I'm going to read? I don't know. Maybe.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about this. I love Kelly Thompson. And I love, um, is it Pachalo or Bacalo? Boc- or Am I supposed to like Phlegm? Uh, I, I,
1: I always
0: said Machal. Okay, so. okay, B'challa. I like I like both of them a lot. Uh, I wasn't like super into any of the Jerry Duggan Deadpool stuff, um, but that's just because like Deadpool's not really ever a character that I've been super excited about. But yeah, I'm 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 excited to at least check the first couple issues of this out. Um, all right, mini series coming up in November. Five issues. Uh, Morbius, the Living Vampire, written by Vita Ayala and illustrated by Marcella Ferreira. Ferraria, for Ferraria, uh, Jess, Vita on some Morbius.
1: Oh, that's gonna be good. Yeah, that's gonna be really good. Um, that's kind of the perfect book for them. So, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah I'm gonna read that. Plus, I'm I'm a big yeah. fan of like Morbius and like Blade and and all those darker Marvel characters. So I'm kind of hoping we get like a, a little Renaissance here, like Morbius and Blade beating up on vampires i'm hoping we get a little renaissance of that that'd be great um but vita's yeah do a really good job with this book like that's gonna be great
0: yeah i hope that this is like a backdoor pilot almost even for vita to be writing like a blade series because i think they would be like i think like you said like they would be really good at that um and like blade's been in avengers a lot and, like jason aaron's avengers stuff and it just seems like a crime that blade doesn't have a book right now especially with a movie of his like on the horizon yeah um, so yeah, I think I'm like, like, I like, I like Viadayala. I'm like, haven't really ever read any Morbius stuff, but like, you know, I could get excited about this. Um, so we'll see. Uh, last but not least, we have a, for the first time ever, a Yandu book um, written by, co-written by Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler and then illustrated by John McCree. Um, so Jess, what do you think about some Yondu?
1: Yeah, I'm not really interested in that, to be honest. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's just weird. It's like these characters like get like a second life, I guess, in like the movies. But like, I I got so just exhausted by the Mary Poppins jokes, and so like now I'm just done with Yondu. I just don't care.
0: <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I think. Um, I don't think that I'm super excited. I think, again, it's, like, another interesting, like, oh, like, Thompson and Nadler, who, like, did the, like, were sort of this, the spearheaders of the Age of X-Men stuff, are, like, moving over to the cosmic-y things. As if, like, you know, not that, like, Hickman didn't want them, but, like, Hickman, like, got to handpick who he wanted to be a part of sort of the his X-Men titles, and it looks like they're, like, transitioning into this other part of the Marvel Universe. So I think that's sort of interesting. But yeah, this is like a character that I don't care that much about and is definitely like influenced by the movies. Um, So no, I'm not interested in checking this out. Okay, we got through all those series real, real quickly. Um, here's, Here's what I think. We'll take a break and then we'll come back. And when we come back and we start off, we'll start off with uh, House of X number five and some other House of X and Powers of Ten news and then move on to Marvel Comics 1000 and then King Thor 1. So we'll see you after the break. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity
1: Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily.
0: I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster,
1: A Silent Voice,
0: and Pokemon Adventures.
1: We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note.
0: At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we're back for the second part of the episode, we're going to be uh, reviewing some of the biggest books of the end of August, beginning of September. And we're going to start with um, House of X number five, which is the next uh, red highlighted issue in the back matter of all of the Hawks uh, Pox issues, as people have been calling them. Although I've been reading that and I haven't ever said it out loud until just now. And it sounds really dumb now that I've like said it out loud. So maybe, I, maybe I'll so just... It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um have you been reading like what the the it was like Hox pox Talks, I think that was like the Xavier Files like annotation thing, and then like Polygon, the website, like saw that what they were doing and they really liked it, and so now yeah, they're like right the Polygon mm-hmm. now. Um but I thought that was a fun name of stuff. Yeah. Um but that's a dot du- like the it's a dumb name now that I said it out loud. So House of X and Powers of Ten. Um so the last time we recorded, uh, we talked about House of X number two, which was the last uh, red marked issue. Um, and so since then, um, powers of 10, 2, and 3, have, 2, 3, and 4 have come out, and House of X 3, 4, and now 5 have come out. Um, so... We have a lot to catch up on. If you've been listening to the DC Three cast to, um, our DC related podcast on multiversity you'll know that they've been talking a little bit about the Hickman stuff in the sort of like second or third part of their shows, um, adjacent to DC stuff. So listen to that if you want to, but we're going to, um, sort of do a little bit of a catch up with the last, I mean, it's like four issues and they're dense. So we're not really going to cover them in depth. Um, but just want to check in and, and still ask if this book is as good as I still think it is. So, Jess, are you still enjoying all the all the Hick the Hickman X stuff, the Hicksmen?
1: Very much, very very much. Nice. It's amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I like it's like the book that I look forward to the most. Like every week when it comes out, and it's like the first thing that I want to read. And like sometimes it's like the only thing that I want to read because yeah, same. Mm-hmm. it's great. Um, so, uh, so what have you thought overall about the last sort of like four issues since we've talked? Um, what has been? Which one of them has been like your favorite? What's been like some of the cool moments? Um, like what are your what are your thoughts?
1: Um, I've definitely enjoyed uh, House of X. I think more than Powers of X. Because I'm more of a fan of, like, where this whole thing is going as it pertains to, like, the the stuff that's going to come after these two weekly series wrap up. So, I feel like Powers of Ten is, like, out there, out there. And, like, that future may not even really be happening. So, like, that stuff is cool. And there's been some really great stuff out of it. But, like, I've really been enjoying House of X more. um, Especially, like the issue we're gonna really get into today. Um but it's still really enjoyable to me. It's just so much to take apart. And yeah. Like you could do a podcast of just these issues.
0: Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um I think I agree with you for yeah for the most part that like that I've enjoyed House of X more than Powers of Ten. Although like both been like fantastic. Um I also think too like part of it is of like Pepe Larraz and and R.B. Silva like I think that I like prefer like Pepe Larraz's art like just a little bit more of the two um and that's like not I don't think that that's like hopefully not at all like a diss on either of them because they're both like doing the work of their career but I just I I I think that like Pepe Larraz is like a little bit more kinetic than like R.B. Silva um in some ways powers of 10 is just like confused me (laughs) um and I think that's some of why that I've liked House of X a little bit more because I think a lot of the like emotional beats of the series have been, um, and House of X, like House of X number four, where I think has been my favorite issue of like the entire whole thing so far. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and like I was like in tears like when we got to the like when I got to the end of the um, that issue and all the like the no mores were popping up like in the back like the back matter switched from being like informative to just being like uh like xavier's sort of like rage that people like that mutants keep dying um i thought that was like really really powerful and was kind of mad at all the like cynical people that were like oh but they're not really dead because this is comics and they're not really dead because this is comics but but also i thought like that issue was really really like impactful for me oh
1: yeah that was great i mean because the thing with like what uh what is happening with these books is that it's not so much that it with with Jonathan Hickman the way that he writes superhero comics it's like he tries to make the stakes mean something so like he'll do stuff and like him killing off that whole team that Very much is something that might have stuck. Like, there there was very little reason to absolutely believe him in all these solicitations we got. Like, he would have absolutely, like, screwed with us. And all the art would have been legit. But, like, we would have somehow found out that, like, some of the descriptions were lies. And, like, everything was already written and drawn. But what we ended up getting compared to what was solicited would be different. Because he was trying to screw with us. And, like, tell us, yeah, no, I just killed everybody off. So let me tell you now what the real books after this are like, that's something that I think he would have tried to do is like this big grand experiment um, with, with, with Marvel comics. Like that would have been great. So like for a second, I did believe that maybe they were all dead.
0: Yeah. 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 I did like, like for like a hot minute and just like the, the way that that issue like sold everything was like, okay, like they might be really dead and they were dead like they died like they actually died um and then
1: they did actually die yeah
0: yeah and like those versions of themselves actually died and then we get to this issue when we learn that there's some other like funky things um at work but yeah i thought i thought that issue was great i thought like the conversation between like uh uh like wolverine and 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 nightcrawler was like really really like beautiful and i just i just think it's all great i just think it's all great um and like the powers of ten, like the reveal. So like the the other big reveal in that book has been that like the X square timeline, the hundred year in the future timeline. That that was from Mora's ninth life, um, and we know that like definitively. And powers of X four didn't re, or powers of ten four didn't return to um to the to that timeline. So Jess, what did you think about about that reveal, about that um, that moment in the series so far?
1: Um, I don't know what I thought this future was. I feel like I thought it was her 10th life. So it being the ninth life is intriguing. Um, cause that, again, it's just him calling everything into question. It's like, we get an issue and we think, yeah, this is what's going to happen. And then it's like, no, actually this was her ninth life. There's still the 10th life that we're talking about now that we're into, So that stuff now in that ninth life might not even matter anymore. That's what's interesting about it. It might not matter anymore.
0: Yeah. I'm still curious if like the what's happening like a thousand years in the future is like her ninth life or is her tenth life. And I'm also curious. Well, I guess we know what's happening in House of X is from Moira's tenth life, I think, because that's like what's on. The timeline like all the things that have happened like that were in the timeline page or the things that are happening in house of x because it says like year whatever is when house of x is, is or is like established um so i'm curious if like the thousand years in the future stuff is still her ninth life um since we know that like the hundred years in the future stuff was um
1: if they if in um house of x4 if they did succeed in preventing Nimrod from ever coming online, then that ninth life, then that future, I don't think happens.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So I think that even if it's even if we're taken that far into the future, I think it's going to be something different because um, they they stopped. Uh, if if they succeeded, which we're led to believe they did, then that doesn't happen now.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's true. I think at one point. Um, like my ideas for what happened, like what's happening a thousand years in the future were that, um, that that's, that one of those people was Moira or was Xavier or was like some of the, like, you know, like mutant good guy people. And that like Moira needed to upload her consciousness into like the phalanx, you know, world mind thing. And then that somehow like that would make it to where in her 10th or 11th life she would have all this knowledge and they would know how to like fix the problem or whatever because she would have learned everything and i'm not and after reading powers of Ten Four and house of x5 i don't know that that's what i think um anymore per se and i went back and tried to read most of these most of the whole series before house of x5 which is the ninth issue of the 12 issue series so let's you want to go ahead you want to dig in then to house of x5
1: well i was going to say that you brought up moira's 10th and hypothetical 11th life and i saw a theory today that now has me convinced um that she's getting an 11th life
0: okay what was the what was the theory why are you now convinced that she's getting an 11th well, life
1: so as we see so I'll, I'll I'll give us that information so people listening can have that background. Um. If you haven't read it, you should, but if you haven't read it, basically what we find out is that they have, on Krakoa, they have mastered resurrection, in the typical sense that you would think of resurrection, where you come back to life, um, where you come back to life with all your memories and everything, and you're, like, alive again, right? So, um, I can't find the tweet, because I wanted to give the, at least, like, put their handle out there so people knew, but um, this person on Twitter said, that's where she gets her 11th life.
0: Oh, that they clone her body and she gets,
1: that they're going to, that they have a clone of her and they have her mind, her mind with, um, her mind intact. Because as we now know, Xavier Cerebro has now become like this whole other thing where now you can, where now Charles Xavier can take the actual essence of a person, their soul, their spirit, their memories and everything, whatever you want to call it. Um, I call it the essence of the person, because so I think that's easier. Um, he can now keep that and update that, <laughs> which he does weekly. It's told to us, um, and I think he has a backup of her with all her memories of all her lives intact in case something goes wrong, mm. and they have to do this all again.
0: That would that would make a lot mm-hmm. of sense. I think. I don't know if that would. I don't know if that would mean that it would be her eleventh life because like the characters that get new bodies, like all the characters that died in house of X four, that get new bodies in house of X five. Um, like, I don't know. Those are like brand new lives. Cause they just kind of like their bodies just kind of pick up like where their old bodies left off. So would it just be that like, if they have Moira's DNA and they have her mind backed up and she dies and they give her a new body, is that like her 11th life or is that just her like being resurrected because of that's how this resurrection thing works now?
1: Um I don't know. I mean, I think they were calling it her 11th life just because that's kind of like how it's been set up where like each each time she's alive has become like a different timeline and if like she was resurrected um in this way and not the normal way that she's been reincarnated because those are different things. Oh um, yeah, 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 yeah. That that she would have her memories and of all those lives so she would be it wouldn't be like she's waking up and only remembers the 10th timeline she'd wake up and remember all the timelines so then they would go about doing things differently i guess because then you have to also take into account that now that group of x-men which i want to get into that too that did the resurrecting one of them can can manipulate time
0: yeah 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 <laughs> yeah that's yeah that's true i uh i don't like i don't i love i love that after each issue that like my theory about like my theories and my ideas and like everybody else's theories and ideas about what are happening like keep changing um uh because i don't like i don't i think i thought at one point that like what was happening in the main marvel universe like what's going to be happening when like Dawn of x starts is going to be her 11th life and we're going to have started over and after this issue i don't think that that's true like i think that her like tenth life is like where like things in the Marvel Universe are happening, um, and and I don't know. So let's okay. I have some other some other thoughts about some other things that we can like we can pepper in, but let's get into the into House of X five proper. Um, so House of X five, written by Jonathan Hickman, illustrated by Pepe Larraz, colored by Marta Gracia, and then lettered by Clayton Cowles, and then designed by Tom Muller, uh, Jess overall now that we've now that we're in the uh in the home stretch of of this series uh and we've 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 touched on some of the elements of of this issue but overall the issue as a whole as opposed to like just some of the fun aspects of it like what did you think of of this of this issue
1: um i thought it was really really well done um I, it has a huge reveal that I think really plays out well. Even though it's not incredibly shocking, I think that the way that it's done is kind of surprising. Um, because you've what happens is we find out about the resur- about the ability to resurrect people, but how it's done is different than I think anyone was suspecting. It's not like... It's like a very deliberate thing done by Charles Xavier, where he knew that sending them into this they were probably all gonna die he knew this but he knew he could bring them back but if you pay attention to the last issue of house of x you see how it hurts him to do this which means this isn't the first time that he's gone through this
0: this mm. it's, it
1: leads us to believe that he has sent them into something where they would die and they just come back because it just seemed like they were all so comfortable with doing this
0: yeah yeah that's a that's a really interesting point. And it's not like they are they were like very comfortable to go and do it, but also like in a way that like they knew they were like yeah, like they knew they were going to die, but like nobody wants to die, but yeah, you're right. Like this is that is really really cool. That is a
1: And like when they come back, it just seems like they were it's like there was no panic in bringing them back. Like they died and there was no panic in their mm-hmm. death. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't read everything again, but I did read House of X four again. Yeah, and you kind of pick that up from that issue that there's pain in watching them die again, but there doesn't seem to be a panic in them dying.
0: Yeah, they're like they themselves aren't panicking.
1: No, like Charles Xavier and the people that are on Krakoa, there isn't like a panic in them dying. It's almost like they've done this Mm -hmm. before. And Charles Xavier's pain mostly comes through the fact that he had to, like, because he's telepathically connected to all of them, it's like he had to feel them die. And and since he thinks of them as, like, those five as, like, his most prized X-Men, mm-hmm. them dying does hurt him. But it's just the way that they were just, they're just dead, yeah. and now they're back. It just seemed like, it, it just felt like this was something that they've done in this timeline, at least, multiple times. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That must be true. I think that that's probably true. Um, God, yeah, yeah. I thought, uh, I thought the way that, so okay, so i so I thought this issue was really, really good too. I think in terms of of like this being the like red highlighted issue, whatever. Like, there are a lot of cool reveals that happen in this issue, but I don't think it's as like big as the reveal that came in House of X two when we learned that like Mora has been reincarnating. that that was just like he like bigger like bigger than this even though that this is still really really big and like three or four really big things happen um but i thought this issue was like it was beautiful again and it was like it moves it moves like the present day stuff along super super well it gets into like what is the rest of the marvel universe going to be thinking about all these stuff and it gets and it gets into like this was the first issue that I read this and I was like, okay, I can start to see maybe, and I'm saying maybe because I still don't know what the fuck is happening anywhere. Um, like maybe I can start to see how the Don of X books are going to happen. Like I can start to see like how, um, like how Excalibur is going to happen because like apocalypse is on Krakoa now. And that's what we, you know, like all the villains are on Krakoa, Um, and like, that's how he can be an Excalibur. And like Xavier mentions at some point, um, you know, like, we need to have a team of people to, like, go, uh, um, or, like, well, he tells Emma, like, that he has bolder things in mind for her, and then he says, like, they need to have a team to go, like, get other people, other mutants, and, like, bring them to Krakoa, or, like, find other people who have been resurrected, or something like that. I don't know. Um, uh, uh, Where is it? I think it's when he's talking to Magneto at the beginning, and I was like, "Oh, maybe that's like what Marauders is—is is like the Xavier's like team of people like going out into the world to find like other mutants and like bring them to Krakoa or something." And so, like, like it was cool to start to see, okay, like some of the the veneer of what's coming after is here. Um, but yeah, I mean, all of this all of this book has been really really cool. So let's so let's get into then since we've talked around it and we've talked about the here, all the heroes that come back who died in house of X, like they come back all the ones that died in house of X Four. but the way that they come back is really, really cool. Um, yes. Yeah. So just <laughs> talk a little bit about a little bit about that, about the five different mutants that come together to bring, to make this, this process of mutant resurrection possible.
1: So I, I, Feel like for years that a lot of people talked a lot of shit about the Bendis X Men run. And there was a lot in there that was kind of stupid, but there was some really good stuff in there, particularly the characters that he brought in as his Uncanny X Men team, which was a deliberate attempt mm-hmm. at putting like a team together of like old and new characters, specifically Gold Balls. Okay. <laughs>
0: Uh, a, a Brian who, who was a Brian
1: Bendis creation. And everyone had jokes about him. But he was written as like the most wholesome, sweetest guy. And it was so easy to like him. But he became such a joke in like the X-Men fandom. And it was just like one day you will all regret making fun of gold balls. And guess what? That day is today. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah. basically, gold balls is exactly what it sounds like. He has like giant gold balls that he can take out of his body and throw at you. And until then, that's all it was. But turns out they're actually eggs. Yeah. Which is amazing. So he yeah. has. So this group of five that comes together are basically the characters from. The Bendis X-Men run, which makes me feel so vindicated because those that run was so disliked by so many people. I thought there were parts of it that were pretty good, but it was definitely like Bendis all the way. Um but it was mm-hmm. he had his group that was it was Tempest in this in this issue. It was Tempest, was it Triage? Um
0: It's it's gull it's Golbals, Proteus um, which is
1: interesting. We have to talk about that. Yeah.
0: Uh Elixir. Elixir. Which I don't know. I didn't know. Yeah. Is Elixir. That a That's a healer. Yes.
1: Well, um, Elixir, I think of that group, the only one that was specifically created, and somebody will have to fact check that, but I think the only one specifically created was two, um was Eve Bell, which is yeah. she's the one who can manipulate time and mm-hmm. gold balls. They were brand new to that book. Mm-hmm. The other ones had existed before. They just weren't used. Okay. like Tempest uh, or, or Tempest is not Eve Bell. Um Yeah, Tempest
0: is Tempest is Eve is Eva yeah, Bell. Okay. Yeah, okay, Tempest
1: is Eve is Eva Bell. So she was created specifically for that book and so was Goldballs. Mm-hmm. And she kind of disappeared and Goldballs ended up in the Miles Morales book here and there. He was a student. He ended up being one of their one of Miles and Gonky's... uh
0: uh, like friends, friends and like,
1: classmates. yeah, a classmate. Um, and then Hope Summers was also in that book. <laughs>
0: yeah, and
1: Hope Summers is like one of the most confusing characters because I don't think they ever actually established who she was, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. like wh- what her origin was, who she was born to. But she was like Cable's adopted daughter, and like people were like, oh, that's probably a gene of uh, a clone of Gene or whatever. But bringing all that together. To have them basically be the little resurrection squad is amazing. It's so good. Because yeah. it's like Hickman saying, listen, there is no part of the X-Men franchise that you can't turn into something really, really cool. And those characters always had a lot of potential. So making them like the, the, the actual group that resurrects people is amazing. Like Gold Balls now is like one of the most important mutants. Like, maybe he can't mess you up in a fight, but, like, he's sitting there with those other characters completely responsible for bringing people back to life.
0: Mm -hmm. Which is Mm -hmm. cool. And he's, like, tied, he's tied all those five characters together, like, the way that, like, that data page describes, like, he's tied them all so together, so, like, intricately that, like, they almost, maybe in, like, the future can't exist without one another Mm -hmm. or, like... And I'm wondering, I'm wondering when we get to like phase two, then, if there's going to be a book with these five characters, which I think would make a lot of sense. That would um, be, if they're sort of like, the,
1: that would be so amazing. And then like just wouldn't yeah. be writing them, which would be like the craziest thing.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'd be like, you know, it'd be like, like Leia Williams or, or, or Vita, since like, we don't know what books that those two are writing, but we know that they're getting,
1: they're getting them. Although um, it does make, make Goldwall's power a little weird now. Retroactively. Eggs? Yeah, retroactively it's yeah. a little weird now.
0: <laughs> I yeah. mean it was like
1: before they were just like yeah. giant round balls that you would throw at people. And I think like they had established that if he learned how to control his power better, he could change the weight and the size. So like if he wanted to hit you with like a boulder, he could. <laughs> so but now it's like, well, they weren't actually just balls, they were eggs this whole time. And it's like Wow, that's weird.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I I had that thought too, and also like weird for the people who get like hit with them. They're like, oh yeah, you just got hit with a like you know gold 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 feather goose yeah, egg or gold something.
1: unfertilized egg. Take that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Take that. Ellen. I did. I did. I did want to point out in like since I went back and read House of X one the um the Omega level mutants thing and that page and it says like it points out that like their Krakoa's greatest resource three of them are a part of this group of the resurrecting people um, it's like Proteus or so Kevin McTaggart and and Elixir uh, like Joshua Foley and, and Hope Summers like all three of them are on that list of the like Omega level mutants um, which I think gives new level then to like them saying back in House of X1 that like the Omega level mutants are Kriko is like greatest resource because the greatest thing that Krikoa has going for them is that they can resurrect people, which is and like make more mutants.
1: Yeah. Cause if I caught it right in in this issue, they're doing they're doing this at this rate because they're basically trying to bring back everyone that died on Genosha.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Which is like a whole other thing now to look at because it's like that was millions of people, like literally everyone who lived there got murdered, like mm-hmm. everybody. Mm-hmm. They are all dead, and like to to now have that, that's kind of like Magneto's biggest failing. Mm-hmm. But that was kind of Magneto's biggest failing. So, like, to have that brought back is kind of like, wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I think that that's wild. Um, So, we talked a little bit about, like, Gold Balls and Tempest being a part of this group of five. What do you think about Moira's son being here? And then also about the fact that uh, the, like, backup bodies that Proteus has to use, uh, are our backup bodies of Charles Xavier's body, which is kind of weird because it says like in the note that he like burns his body out when he does this process when he like fertilizes the the eggs because <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's that's, that's what's
1: happening here. All right, yeah. that's what's happening
0: when, here. He, when he has <laughs> sex with the gold balls. And, uh, <laughs>
1: When two people really love each other,
0: yeah, yeah. When uh, when a man and his uh, golden oh, and his balls co-worker. really, yes, really connect, and there's consent because they they work together. Um, when they connect on a spiritual and cultural level, then people come back to life. Um, so yeah, what do you think about? About uh Kevin McTaggart being in I there. I kept
1: wondering, like, where he was going to come into play, because if you look in, if you start dealing with like Moira and and her life, you know, he's always a part of it. Um, but he is like a completely unstable mutant. His powers, like, that's probably why his body burns out the way that Hickman's doing it, because his power is so insane like he's reality warping and he he's basically like just energy like that's what he is so the fact that he's doing this um uh, that makes sense that he can't um like keep it together um and i think that they re uh I think that he's retconned it to where he's. he's
0: got to take his mutant yes. Viagra because he can't yes. keep it together.
1: <laughs> and I did, did I catch that right in the notes that he's Charles, son now
0: he is the, it says uh, depending on the frequency with which he is using his power, a Proteus body normally lasts one week, but can last as little as one day during periods of excessive power use. Proteus is backup mutant tusk, is always created from the genetic base of Charles Xavier.
1: Okay, okay. I thought I, 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 I think I, I don't misread know what that, that means. then. Um, yeah, I misread that then because I don't have the book in front of me. So, um, yeah. So he sort of is his son in like a weird way, a really weird way, a little bit, a little bit. Um, yeah, but yeah, like you can't tell the story of Moira without getting into him. And I was kind of wondering mm-hmm. how he would fall into play because he hadn't been mentioned in any of the timelines.
0: Yeah, I think well, I think he was mentioned in, in the the ten timeline that like she gets married and like they have a kid, but like nothing about the you know him being unstable or anything was there. Um, and I don't really know much about Proteus because I thought for the longest time that Proteus and, and Legion were the same character. No, like
1: Proteus, Proteus is like literally like he is kind of like just energy like he is so his body is so unstable. And he's always he's a lot of his storylines have always been him hurting people
0: because okay. he can
1: also like take over people's bodies.
0: OK,
1: but he's he's like a he, he has to eat energy like he has to he has to do that. So like she would confine him a lot like into cells and things like that where he would just be locked up in prison. Because they, uh-huh. they, there was no other, like, he couldn't control the power. So I just think it's interesting that all, like, she's lived through all these lives. And now at this point, they kind of know, like, they kind of know how to fix him. Where he's mm-hmm. helping with the resurrection. And he has a body. He just has to keep replacing it.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. That makes, that makes more sense. I mean. I th- like. I think that's going to be a storyline down the road. Probably is that like he has to use Xavier's bodies to do all his stuff. Um, you know
1: what would be really crazy? What? If that's not Charles Xavier,
0: it would be. It would be. I keep. Lo- so- I
1: have no idea how to make that make sense, but wouldn't that be something?
0: <laughs> I keep. I keep wondering because um, like some of the preview pages for for X Men number one were released with, um, like, Lynn U's pencils. And in one of the pages, Xavier's in a wheelchair. Hmm. And I keep wondering, like, so that was like my, like, okay, well then this 10th life is not the Marvel universe. Like the 11th life is the, what like the current stuff is or whatever, because like Xavier's got to be in a wheelchair. And then it was like, oh, you know, well like X, like the body that like professor X and phantom X's body, which happened in like Charles soul's astonishing X-Men run thing. Like, I was like, oh, that's why he can walk now and, like, he's back or whatever. Um, But, like, Matt Rosenberg, like, Matthew Rosenberg confirmed on Twitter that, like, they dropped that plot line completely and it's, like, not important. So this is, like, a a Charles Xavier that, like, is just fine again. And I... Maybe it's, like, Kirk Cohen, sort of, like, science, whatever. Um, But it would be really interesting if it wasn't Xavier. And I also keep wondering, like, where Moira is in this 10th timeline. Um, Because in, like, House of X2 it says that like her and her and Xavier and Magneto have a fallout at some point. And then like she leaves and then she like fakes her death. So she's like around, but she's not here. And I just, I don't like, I don't know. I don't know what's, what all is, is, is going on with that. Um,
1: I've been wondering that cause too. Cause like if she's
0: so important to these other things. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I'm
1: wondering that too. And now, and now we end like the issue ends with um, apocalypse showing up.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and like, like
1: being completely like subservient to the cause. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Which yeah. is
1: cr- crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and he like shows up, and he like knows Krakoa, and like they have a moment because he was a part of that like in powers of X four or powers of 10, four, which like this part didn't make a ton of sense. But like when Cypher is like communicating with Krakoa and Krakoa tells Cypher about his life and he used to be like one Island, but now he's like two islands and apocalypse was like a part of that battle, like splitting him into two islands. And he's like, Oh no, I know. And now he's like all like, Oh, we can be, we can be fine now. And I don't know. I keep I think like Mara has to show up again because like I think her and Apocalypse kind of like each other maybe.
1: Yeah, I think they still have a thing going. I yeah. think that there's there's something there. I just I just really it's it's like with the whole Mr. Sinister thing, it's like be careful with who you trust. Yeah. Because some people can't really, some people just don't change. It's like, wow, you gave Mr. Sinister all the genetic material and everything went to shit. I'm so surprised. Yeah. You know, like, with with Apocalypse, it's like, you know, eventually he's not going to just sit around and do what other people want him to do.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. 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 And they did that. Like, they gave it to Sinister and then they were like, well, we have to do this because this is. Like, some, there's nobody else qualified to keep this bank of genes. And then they think that they've, like, solved the problem, but they probably haven't. And, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. And I keep thinking, too, like, because Hickman's page in Marvel Comics 1000, which we'll get to in a second, is, like, of apocalypse, and he's, like, bringing back his, like, first horseman or whatever. Um, and, I- yeah, yeah.
1: I will say this, though, when it comes to, like, sinister and apocalypse, the thing with X-Men is, like, they've always felt like, especially Charles Xavier, more so than Magneto, he's kind of always believed in, like, mutants coming together, and this kind of all goes back to his, to that idea that he always has, that, the, that mutants can coexist with one another and humanity and be okay, so it's, like... We're looking at it and we're like, why do you keep, why would you, in this effort to do everything differently, still like go out and trust these two? Because that's just who he is. And it seems like that's always going to be who he is. He's always going to want to try to get all mutants together and eliminate these villainous factions against each other and just have everyone together. And it's going to eventually backfire, which I think when it does, will make the conflicts more interesting. Because people will say, okay, so they're going to fight Apocalypse again. Boring. But not really. Because it's mm-hmm. very different this time.
0: Yeah. 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 It's going to be... And I don't even... And I don't even know too, like, if it'll... like, Because this... Like, apoc- and Apocalypse even says, like, no, this is what I want. This is more than I've accomplished in my lifetime. Kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, so if if and and we have that like that teaser where from incoming where you know it's like Xavier and Magneto and Apocalypse and they're all they're all friends again um or i mean for the first time or whatever and i kind of think like apocalypse is not going to betray them i'm kind of wondering at this point if it's going to be like the three the three men like the three of them versus moira and she's going to like cuz she's mad that they did stir and thought they could do it better or something or
1: moira going to be the yoko ono yes she's going to apocalypse on them oh my gosh yeah, yeah. i hate that comparison and i'm so sorry for using it because it's more complicated than that but that is basically what it's what's gonna yeah. happen
0: moira is the beyonce of all of them she's the only still successful <laughs> destiny's child um and she's gonna win uh,
1: she she's beyonce always <laughs> beyonce always
0: yes yes Uh huh. but i don't know like i don't know um and like i thought that at one point that all the like preview pages were coming from that library and now i think that after this issue that they're just things that Xavier's seeing like through Cerebro that they're like Cerebro e pitch things and i'm like even wonder i'm wondering now too if like that the 1000 years in the future timeline if that's like i thought that that was part of the mutants like trying to like win. And that's going to be like a good thing. And I'm wondering at this point, if that's like the humans and the machines, like, because uh, like Nimrod's still there. And like, if the, it's still going to be like the human machine group, like one upping the mutants. And if that's going to be part of the conflict going forward, like, it's not going to be a good thing that they're joining the like world mind or whatever. Like, I don't know. Like I just keep asking all these questions and this, and this book keeps answering some of them and then making me ask more. And it's just so, it's just so wonderful
1: it really is and like I know I've said this before but there's such a different energy with these books as um with like with like online discussions because it is like so different than anything we've had in like superhero comics for a little while where it's like it is very unpredictable and it does rely on like 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 we said, we knew they were probably going to all come back to life, but it's how they did it that was so interesting. Yeah. Because that has so many implications. And even the criticisms that come, like I know I saw a few tweets today where it was kind of like, well, he's not really nailing voices. It's kind of like what is being said by each character is kind of like anybody could say that. Like it just doesn't feel like some of these characters. And that's a totally valid criticism. But it's just like really nice to see like people being into it and it's fun. It's fun. I just hope that, like, when this is done, that the books that follow that aren't written by Jonathan Hickman have that same kind of energy.
0: Yeah, I do, too. I do, too. And that's one of the things that I've been thinking about is we're getting closer. Because we only have three we have three more issues. So Powers of X, Powers of 10 5 House of X6, and then Powers of Ten Six. 6 And Powers of 10 6 is also highlighted in red. And maybe because it's the last issue and it's probably going to, like, solidify everything. Um Yeah. But I'm wondering, like, as we get into this new status quo, if like the other books that are not the flagship book are going to be like as exciting and as cool as this. And I have to think because they've been planning all of this for over a year that they are going to be like the things are so planned out and so great. But also like this is, you know like things happen and, and Marvel's still a company in there, you know, probably, you know, different weird things that could happen. So I'm, I'm curious, but man, like oh, I just loving this so much. And I also think too, that like, this is probably what people who read X-Men comics in the eighties and nineties, like felt like, and it's kind of fun to like feel that because I don't know that, I mean, that's not an experience that I would ever have been able to have had. Um, but I think it's like so cool to be reading these books to be so, like enthralled by the X-Men books to not have to read anything else and be fine to just like read the X-Men books and to see this corner of the Marvel universe and, and just like get to sit and revel in this like huge story with all these characters. Um, and I kind of like, I think that that's like a really, really cool feeling. And I, I, I kind of love, I kind of love that.
1: It is. It's nice. It really is.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Do you have any other house of X five thoughts? Or powers of Yes,
1: I, I would like to point out that this issue deserves every award for putting Emma Frost in that suit. Oh. That was a great suit. Hell yeah! <laughs> that, that is that is such a good look for her. Like I. I love Emma Frost. She's easily one of my five favorite X-Men ever. Like I adore her. Yeah. And um one of my one of my favorite things is looking at Emma Frost fan art because she's such a fashion character. Mm-hmm. So a lot of artists will be like they'll play around with the fashion and like you usually don't see her in a suit and it's always it's 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 such a good look for her. It works for her character, her personality like that is Emma Frost. So Yeah. I enjoyed the suit and I do think that Everyone should get awards now for putting Emma Frost in a suit. Yes, thank you.
0: <laughs> I love, I love that like her and Xavier are just like casually having a telepathic conversation while they're smoozing all these uh, like politicians. Also, question for you: Is it implied or like just said that like Emma like seduces the Russian ambassador so that she abstains from this vote?
1: I took it as. Either she did that or she got in her head telepathically.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. But
1: it would totally be an Emma Frost move. to. Or do. she
0: did both.
1: Or she did both, which is even more of an Emma Frost move. I mean, Emma Frost <laughs> did carry out like an entire affair with Cyclops in her head. So it all makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Very Emma Frost. Okay.
0: Yeah. Very, very power move. Very. very-
1: in the suit of all things. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah.
0: yeah. I love, I think I, I, that's such a good, like the women, the women in suits look is a good look.
1: It is. It's I, powerful. I, I, I need to get one.
0: I, I need one. I mean like a, <laughs> like a cool suit. Not like a, you know, like the janky, like, you know, crappy suit that I have that I've had since I was in like high school, but, uh, I need to try harder is what I'm saying. Um, uh, Cool. Okay, well, let's transition from one behemoth to another behemoth of comics. Um, so, we're going to move on here to Marvel Comics 1000, published at the end of August as sort of a celebration of the 80th anniversary of Marvel. Um, written by everyone, drawn and colored and lettered. By everyone. Done every- by except everyone. Except us. Edited by everyone except for any of the women. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Zinger. Ah, so, um, so basically this entire issue is, um, a different year or represents a different year in Marvel comics, um, for the 80 years that timely and then Marvel have existed. And there's also a three line story kind of loosely that's written by Al Ewing and then illustrated by a different artist for every page, but every page has a different creative team. Um, and it's like 90 pages or whatever. And so it is like a celebration. And it's also this story that Ewing is telling. And it's also a teaser for things that are coming in 2020 and beyond. Um, so Jess, we'll start with you. What were your sort of overall impressions of of Marvel Comics 1000?
1: Um, it's an okay experiment. I typically am not crazy about like anniversary issues, um, like this because they just seem like so much like it's a really nice thing that they did but it was kind of a lot to get through and ultimately it didn't do that much for me um, aside from a few of the fun pages um, but I-, I wasn't in love with it um, I think if you bought this you're like you're one of the Marvel diehards that they were marketing this towards um, the thing that, like, really kind of saves it is it's, like, it is Al Ewing doing, like, this through story in it that's going to kind of tease out, like, into 2020, which is good.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's, I think that's true. I think I feel, like, kind of similarly. Like, I started reading this and about, like, three-fourths of the way in it or like two thirds of the way. I had to stop and put it down for a little bit. because like, this is just so, this is just so much. Um, So I think, like, I think a lot of the individual pages are really pretty. And also some of the individual pages are like kind of, and there are a lot of like fun one-off pages that I think are really cool. And a lot of fun one-off pages that I'm like, why does this exist? I'm not sure that I like totally followed the entire Al Ewing story all the way through partially because, I think that my knowledge of like older Marvel stuff is like a little bit lacking and it was kind of confusing. I think for me reading it because there were periods of the comic towards the beginning where it felt like there was more um, of the Al Ewing story. And then you got to the second half of the issue and there was more of the one-off stories from other things. Am I wrong saying that? Or did you, did you have that experience too? Or...
1: I, I did too. I almost wish that it had just been split into its own separate thing, like in the issue, like just, yeah, I get what he was doing and, and I applaud him for the creativity and the effort. It just, it's such a long issue that just keeps going that it just, I, I also kind of lost like where it was going.
0: Yeah. 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 I think it would have been cause like, so there's this and then there's a Marvel comics, one thousand one that's coming out in like a couple weeks. And I almost wish that like this entire issue had just been anniversary pages. And then you got to the last page or something and it was that story or that teaser with, uh, you know, with Al Ewing. And I think it's I think it's Mike Diodato who does that last that last page with the master or or the, the one with it's Al Ewing and uh, Paul Paul Assis Assiseta. Um, where it's like uh, another another preview, but it doesn't have like 2020 on the, the page um, or or Ewing and, 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 and Christian Ward because that's the 2019 page. Like I almost wish that all of those pages were in this other issue that they want to have, this Marvel Comics 1001. And we get to like read those kind of like one after the other. And even if they wanted to have like the years things and then that would have been fine. Because I feel like some of the like through line story in this issue got lost in parts of it. Um, and that was kind of frustrating. Cause I, I do think that like, I love how Ewing, um, and I think that the story that he's going to tell seems like it could be really, really interesting and really, really cool. And it seems possibly like it's going to be sort of the through line for 2020, like this and the X-Men stuff are going to be like, this is where Marvel's like putting all its eggs or, or spoons or chips or whatever. Um, and like that's exciting. Like, I think that that's that's a cool idea. Um, and like Al Ewing getting to write like a big Marvel event comic, like hell yeah, like let's do it. Um, but the reading the reading experience of this for me was kind of weird.
1: Yeah, it was a little tough. So, um, what did you like from it? Like, what were some of your favorite pages?
0: Um. Well, I think. So I think like individually, all the Al Ewing pages were like really well illustrated and really cool, and like you got to work with some cool artists. I think for me, um, I wrote down like five different pages that were kind of uh, like my favorites. Do you want to like go back and forth? Like you say, like what was one of your faves, and then I'll like say like what was one of mine, and uh-huh. we can like kind of work work down like that.
1: Um, sure.
0: Okay. Okay. Um. So I think like. Like first off, like one of one of my favorites was one towards the beginning. It was the the Jeremy Whitley and um, Irene Co page. That was the America Chavez page, um, where she's like talking about her parents uh, and like talking about love and and all that stuff. Like I thought that was page was really really cool. So that was one of my one of my faves.
1: That was also one of my faves. That's what I have on my list. <laughs> <laughs> um, I oh, okay, really like cool. that. I just thought it was a cute page, and it it says a lot about the character, and like, and love, and it's kind of a message that I wish Marvel went with more. So, yeah,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, I, but it also like that page because then like there were other pages that it felt like there was somebody like interviewing a character, and they were talking about like why they are a hero, and I thought that's like what all of the pages kind of from here on out, from there on out, were going to be like the character pages, and then they weren't. So I thought that was kind of weird too. Um, So, okay, so you go, you can go next. Like you pick, pick one that was kind of fun.
1: I like the Alex Ross Hulk page.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. Um, He eats the
1: microphone, that was great.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah.
1: I'm a big fan of, I'm a big fan of, like, i always say if i hit the lottery like i would get a commission from him <laughs> um mm-hmm. so yeah I'm, I'm a big fan of his and yeah i like that page it's fun it's very it's very hulk but with like a sense of humor
0: yeah yeah no i agree that that one's a good one um i think like next on my list i have the the Joe Hill, Mike Allred, Laura Martin Page where Doctor Strange is washing his cape and then he's just sitting there naked in a laundromat. I thought like
1: Oh my god, that's one of my favorites. Too.
0: Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> that's stupid.
1: I have those those are, those are those are my 3 on my list just the Doctor Strange <laughs> one. The America Chavez one and the uh Alex Ross Hulk one.
0: Oh shit, okay. Oh. <laughs> Well, oh, I thought, I just like thought oh, that last great, panel. Great lines. Yeah. 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 Oh, uh, I just liked the funny ones. Like the funny, cute anniversary pages in this issue were my favorite. Um, mm-hmm. uh, like that one, the, the Punisher page that Jason Aaron and Gorn, pa- uh, Parlov did where like Frank talks about really liking bubble baths, um,
1: yeah that's great uh,
0: That's great. I thought
1: that one was just... oh you know you need a good bubble bath after a day of like murdering
0: people yeah I would like a bubble bath after like just a m- straight up murk really? in people uh, <laughs> it's also funny because like Jason Aaron's talked to like constant on Twitter about how much he likes bubble baths and like bath salts <laughs> and the like bath bombs and things um, and he's like a very like tattooed manly masculine man um,
1: everyone loves a good bubble oh, bath oh heck
0: yeah Heck yeah, totally. Um, I think like my sort of like last like funny favorite one was the Kelly Thompson uh, one the like Elsa Bloodstone one where she, it's Kelly Thompson and Pepe La Roz, uh and it's uh, Elsa saying that she would die for Jeff the land shark.
1: Um, <laughs> the other one I did like that I remembered uh, was the Brad Meltzer written page the Spider-Man oh, one. Oh yeah. I thought that was really sweet and like it's not just one person he just keeps telling people his name is Ben and like now there's a lot of Ben's being born in New York City and that's sweet I thought that was cute yeah
0: yeah I did too I did too that one is a good one that was a good one surprisingly that it came from Brad Meltzer but it was very yeah
1: cute. I was gonna say <laughs> but yes it was very cute yeah
0: I agree with that I, I agree I was uh there were some that like were kind of weird and kind of like not my favorite like the the, the Patrick Lucent one where it's just Captain America like saying the pledge um, I was like oh I thought that Peter Tomasi was the one of you two that was really into all the American stuff and wrote that really <laughs> weird two issue arc of Superman where Superman digs up the body of that dead veteran or whatever it is um, but apparently it's both of them um, so um, I was like oh okay this is nice not really. Not my thing, but if it's your thing, cool. Uh, yeah.
1: Well, and then there was controversy because this was supposed to have an essay or something by the writer of Mouse.
0: Oh, no, that was another thing. It, this was... That was that, another that, thing. Yeah, this, that happened, but this was supposed to have a Mark Wade essay, too. Yeah. That That was political.
1: Yeah, and that was um, uh, taken out.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm
1: which is a choice
0: that's yeah which is a choice which i don't like i don't know why like like because i think i read because i think bleeding cool like published like the essay because i guess like retailers had gotten a copy of the book and the essay had been in it um and it like i think i read it and it wasn't bad it was just saying that like look like your superheroes stand for real moral things and, like, real good in the world, and we live in a world that is, like, highly like highly polarized and very divided, or at least, like, in America that's like that. And so, like, doing good, i.e., like, you know, like, not being racist or, like, you know, hating queer people or being sexist or, like, doing, you know, like, bad things that harm people, like, maybe don't do that because your heroes don't do that. Yeah. And I don't know why – I mean, like, that is a polit- I mean, like, a political statement for some – fuck boys on the internet or whatever but yeah but like that's fine and like that's what comics and that's like what superheroes stand for so i don't know
1: it's very weird
0: yeah that one that one was less yeah yeah i get like the the i mean i don't get it because all (laughs) he said he just called trump an orange skull which like it's like not it's like kind of funny and not like that insulting um it's not. Yeah. Uh, MSNBC calls them worse things every day, uh, <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, yeah, I I had forgotten about the the those essays until just now. Um, that's dumb. That's dumb too. Especially too, like in an anniversary issue that's like praising, like the beginning of the Marvel universe, which the same with like Superman and Batman was like created by mostly Jewish creators who like Fred fled war and violence and oppression and genocide. And then like wanted to punch Hitler in the face. Like those are all Ah, whatever. All right. Oh, um, okay. Any other Marvel comics, a thousand thoughts.
1: Um, um no
0: (laughs) are you interested in are you interested in where the story is going at least like with the the eternity mask and then with the very last page with with korvac because i don't know i don't don't know much about korvac as a character um but i know there was like a korvac saga in like the 80s or 90s or something there's not like an avengers story
1: well that's why i'm not really interested in it either because i don't know a lot about him so
0: okay okay um I'm interested in it theoretically because I like Al Ewing. Uh, I think this issue is a little wonky, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, Okay, last but not least, uh, we're going to be talking about King Thor, number one, the first issue of a four-issue epilogue miniseries to um, Jason Aaron's uh, Thor run. So this issue and series written by Aaron, illustrated by... um, by Assad Ribic colored by Ive. Uh, Siri thought that I was talking to her um, real quick uh, <laughs> colored by um, Ive. Uh, Sorfsina, and then lettered by Josephino. Um, so the beginning of the end of the end, uh, Jess, we'll start with you. What did you think about this first issue of King Thor?
1: I thought it was pretty badass, actually. Nice. <laughs> nice. Um, like the story, the narrative itself drags on a little bit because it's basically just this one extended fight, but it's kind of badass. Mm-hmm. Mostly because, like, I think Ribic is the star of this. Like, I love him, yeah. um, and each panel is like just so brutal. It's so good.
0: Mm-hmm. I yeah, I totally agree with that, and and it, it very. Like, if this, if this was just an excuse for, like, Aaron and Ribic to come back together and close up this story since they, like, began it together seven years ago or whatever, I think I'm okay with that for the most part. Um, and I do, like, this, this issue, and I'm sure that this whole miniseries is going to be just gorgeous. Um, and, like, this was one, like, really dope, like, extended fight scene where people are, like throwing people into suns with their intestines and setting entire planets on fire. Mm -hmm. Um, Like that's all really cool. I was sort of like, I don't know. I think, I think I'm still a little miffed after like war of the realms and the two epilogue issues of Thor. And then now this, because I kind of just wanted like, I think I wanted an ending kind of to the story and like war of the realms felt like a really good ending. And I know that like Aaron had been kind of telling this story with this future Thor, with uh, this like future all father Thor, but I kind of feel like he wrapped it up sort of, (laughs) even though like he'd been peppering in all these teases about the, the Necrosaur and about gore and about like Galactus and ego. Like those are all things that he's like peppered into the run. So I guess having to pay off on those teases, is important um i don't know i don't know i just kind of wanted like i thought that the way that war of the realms ended was like a good ending to the entire thing and then there were these two uh, those two other like after or two or three other aftermath issues that were like okay these are all these are fine and like well executed but unnecessary and then i think like this is like fine and and beautiful and and well well executed and i'm still kind of in the this may or may not be unnecessary face does that make sense I don't know
1: mm-hmm. it does it does it it makes sense I didn't read most of war of the realms so I can't like totally sympathize with that but I do
0: okay yeah I mean um like I do like like you're you're totally right this whole this whole first issue is like really badass and then, like the like the ending, you know, like the teaser for like the next issue is, you know, like Thor and like Thor and Loki after like duking it out themselves, have to like for the next three issues, will be fighting Gore the God Butcher again. Yeah. Um,
1: Which I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah. I just. Yeah. I mean,
1: that's that's kind of what I meant about like the narrative kind of not being great, but like Ribic was like killing it the whole time.
0: mm Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah that's and that's like what i thought too and and i'm glad that it it's going in this direction because i think like one of the things that aaron has done a lot in his entire thor run is that you know like he's brought like thor and loki like kind of closer together like they haven't ever been like they've been antagonistic but it's been like sort of loving i guess or like sort of brotherly rather than just like loki's like a straight-up villain and like for 99% of this issue, like Loki's like straight up villain. And I'm glad then that it like, what seems like is going to happen is like, they're going to have to team up to like fight Gore. Um, and mm-hmm. I can, I'm a, like, I'm, I think I'm cool with that. Cause I was like reading this too. And I was like, Oh, this seems like kind of different to the way that you've been writing Loki a lot in your series. And also like the way that Loki's like being depicted in his like, series right now that like daniel kibblesmith's writing not that those things necessarily have to line up but it just seemed like a little bit off to me yeah um but yeah the whole thing is is coming like completely full circle because Aaron and Ribbick are back doing gore things and got three more issues of of gory gore of of, of
1: ribic doing pretty things
0: of just Ribick doing pretty things and and Aaron with a lot of narrative narration captions that are yes. <laughs> full of full of mythicologically stuff and whatnot. Um which again is all like well written and all like like great. I'm like I feel bad that I don't like this more than I than I uh than I wanted to.
1: Yeah. Well I think if someone else had drawn it, I wouldn't have been that interested.
0: I think that that's true. I think that I think that I I agree there. Um, yeah, and like I'm gonna I'm gonna read the next three issues and like I'm gonna see this thing to the end because what Jason Aaron has done with what Jason Aaron and Asad Rubik and Russell Dodderman and and Matt Wilson and Mike Del Mundo and and everyone else have done with Thor over the last seven years has been some of the best. I mean, some of the best comic stuff that like I've ever read, and like I'm and, like has been really really great. Uh, this was like just one epilogue too many maybe for me. Even though I'm gonna finish it, and like the ending is probably gonna be really sincere, and I'm probably gonna cry a little bit like when we get to issue four. And that's and that's all true. But I'm ready. I'm ready to move on. Like I'm ready for the next phase of Thor things. Like I'm ready to see Thor doing all father things in the present.
1: Well, be careful what you wish for, because Jason Aaron leaving Thor behind is kind of like Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo finally leaving Batman.
0: <laughs> yeah, and- the
1: next guy in was kind of terrible. Tom King's Batman is not good.
0: No, I totally agree with that, and I'm sure that there's going to be a handful of listeners that uh, hear this and, and vehemently disagree with us on that, and and for them, I would, <laughs> I would direct your emails to brian at multiversitycomics.com. Um for all of your Batman related uh, you know, foibles and questions and things. Um, but no, I'm not a huge fan. I think.
1: Oh no, they can, they can, they can tweet me. I, I like a good fight. Okay.
0: You can tweet at Just came in. <laughs> uh, I think, um, I think the rumor is, I think I saw this, that Donny Cates has taken over Thor after this, mm-hmm. um, which for, I think he's kind of at this point, like in some of a similar boat as Tom King has been of like, either either you like him or either love him and you just love everything that he's doing. Like no matter what you're one of his like super fanboys or you're like a little bit indifferent to him. There's like very little sort of like middle ground with both of them, I think. Uh, but yeah, so we'll see. I'm sure that we'll get a lot of news. Um, and at least like a hint at what's coming up in the Thor world in a couple weeks when New York comic con happens. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll get a lot of all the all the Marvel related news. Probably the like peek at what's going to be coming for the winter and spring of 2020 for Marvel. Um, but yeah, any other King Thor thoughts, uh, Jess? No, <laughs> no, cool. Uh, well, folks, that is it for uh, this uh, episode of Make Mine Multiversity um we'll be back next month in october to probably to break down all the new york comic-con news and then also to talk about some books uh for october so the end of house of x powers of 10 and maybe the beginning of the hickman x-men stuff along with a number of other things if you like what you hear if you're liking what you hear hearing here i make my multiversity uh please uh uh go to you know you know, go to where you're listening to your podcasts, you know, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Soundhole, whatever. Uh, rate, review us, subscribe, leave us your comments and questions. If you haven't been to multiversitycomics.com where we're hosted, like please do that and check us out on there. Uh, in the coming months, um, there's going to be a couple changes to make Mind Multiversity to our format. Uh, if you've been listening to the DC Throughcast, uh, which you should because they're great and funny and weekly a little more frequently than we are. Um, they have talked a little bit about, uh, Brian, Vince and Zach about how they're going to be doing some X-Men related, uh, commentary when Dawn of X starts. And so, um, in starting in November, make my multiversity will be going, uh, twice monthly. And part of one of the episodes, uh, one of our two episodes every month will be the DC th- three cast boys talking some about the Hickman X stuff. So look forward to that and look forward to some of the other fun things that we're going to be doing in the coming months. Uh, check, keep your eyes on this space to uh, you know, be a part of all those things. But until then uh, Jess, where can people find you on the larger interwebs?
1: Uh, I can be found on Twitter at JessCamNJ. cam and Jay.
0: Nice. And you can find me on Twitter at KBGregory13. Until then, uh, you know, take care of all your golden eggs and things. Uh, <laughs> Good night, folks. Unfertilized golden <laughs> eggs.
1: <laughs> Bye.